Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. Cannabis Conference registration is now open, by the way. We're in the last planning stages for our schedule of educational events, and that full three-day calendar will be live before rates increase on March 15th. So keep an eye out for that schedule. We've got some fantastic topics coming your way. And yes, note the March 15th deadline for the lowest rates of the year. Reserve your seat now. Make it known that you're coming out to Vegas for Cannabis Conference 2022. Visit CannabisConference.com for all the relevant and important information on registration and much more. Now, on to the podcast. We've got a great show this week. The first time Beyond the Show has featured two guests in one episode. It's a breakthrough moment, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with Ben Gelt, board chair of the Cannabis Certification Council, and Ted Harris, founder and executive managing director of Sweetleaf Madison Capital. Ben and Ted bring clear-eyed perspectives on the craft grower segment, a fascinating and competitive niche in the rapidly growing cannabis space. But what does that mean, craft cannabis? And what can cannabis growers of all sizes do to signal to the market that they are indeed operating in that craft universe? We address those questions and much more, and please enjoy my conversation with Ben Gelt and Ted Harris. All right. Well, Ben and Ted, thank you so much for joining the show this week. Super excited to dive into this conversation. We just had a bit of uh, some off-air conversation that is getting me uh, very jazzed for where we're about to take this interview. Um, you know, we're going to cover a lot of ground here today, and I think a lot of it's going to revolve around this word craft cannabis, which I think a lot of folks are familiar with. It's certainly uh, not, a, not a new term, not unique to cannabis, uh, but it's sometimes uh, can be a moving target. Uh, there are certain uh, regulatory bodies that have tried to pin it down, but um, it's sometimes a bit more subjective. So I wanted to begin, uh, Ben, with you maybe. Um, could you define craft cannabis and maybe in doing so, uh, tell us a bit about your background and, and you know how you got associated with, with craft cannabis? Sure. Thank you, Eric. Really uh, excited to be on with you today. So thanks for having me and Ted. Um, you know, as you said in the in your introduction, craft is has had sort of a wandering definition. There are some pretty clear cut definitions in beer around craft uh, brewing, and I'll let Ted get into that because he certainly knows more about it than I do. Um, you know, in my experience, I've seen groups uh, really try and focus on the amount of production uh, that that goes on and kind of the volume and scale of the size of a facility, which I think you know. It, there's a good argument around that. I would say really, and I think in the mind of the consumer, that craft really is something that is supposed to denote a higher quality of production. And I don't, I don't really think that it's necessarily so critical to, to have scale um, be part of the consideration. But again, I, I, I think that's a, a debate for people that, that are more expert. You know, our focus, uh, and, and I'll talk a little bit about my background, I chair a, a nonprofit in the industry called the Cannabis Certification Council. You know, our mission is to educate both industry and consumers about sustainable and quality practices um, as it pertains to cannabis. So, you know, craft is something we've talked about and something that I think is highly related is, is organic. And that's where you get into something where there are some very clear cut standards that exist both internationally and domestically here in the United States 
and there's no really meaningful pathway to it for marijuana producers in particular. So we at the council really believe that an organic designation and organic certification, which we've developed called organically grown cannabis, is something that will create a meaningful value add for marijuana producers in the, in the regulated industry that wanna go down that path. And I think, again, when you get into the definitions of these things, at the end of the day, it's all about market and traction with consumers. And in our research, we found that things like craft and specifically organic have organic has, we find the highest premiums of any certification, any standard available in the world when it comes to food goods. So we think that that's the kind of uh, important bar to set and also the low hanging fruit here. So yeah, that's, that's us in a nutshell in terms of our mission. Certainly. Yeah. And I think um, as we get going, what we can place that in context against the broader industry and, and get into some, some more trends and uh, some of the dynamics around uh, the actual growers and the businesses involved in this in the industry. Um, but Ted, you're approaching this uh, from more of the, the financial side, but certainly with a bit of background in, uh, in the craft brewing side and, and, and beer in general. Could you maybe talk about what well, brings I mean, you I, to yeah. Yeah, craft I mean, so you know, I founded Sweet Leaf Capital in 2016 and, uh, and we, when we started it, we, we, we started as an equipment leasing company. And we just saw the similarities from uh, the craft brewing industry to the marijuana industry specific to extraction and, and saw that, that analogy and, and really, you know, watched the people that we lent money to that were the smaller operator, not the huge guys. We've been a largely, you know, uh, funding early nascent states and, you know, those borrowers that were doing extraction. And we could see the craft quality of what some of our borrowers were doing, the people that were really passionate about their product. It wasn't necessarily about a commoditization. It was more about what they were producing and, and the traction that they were getting. And a lot of them were struggling early on, for sure, especially in, in some states. I mean, everybody thinks everybody's printing money. And then what happens is Croptober comes and the price of marijuana drops and then there's an oversupply and there's this fluctuation. And so when we looked at it and we could see these guys that were really passionate about it, they were the ones that were surviving and really paying us back. You know, we're a lender. And as we've watched the industry evolve, like we were saying earlier, is that we're really seeing what I would call cultivation 2.0, modern indoor ag. And, and so with that, and, and, and along the way, we leased a lot of analytical laboratory testing equipment. So we got really familiar with the analytical labs and COAs and pretty, pretty well versed in that. I would think uniquely so that there weren't too many lenders uh, that I was competing against in the laboratory space. And so the craft um, expression can then be uh, really validated by a COA. And as the industry evolves and matures, people can really can look at different cannabinoid profiles and really dissect the plant down in a more sophisticated manner as the consumer becomes more educated. And as you fast forward into what Ben's doing, you're creating a higher bar for the grower to achieve the people that we call like pheno snobs. They're interested in genetics and are really looking at the expression of those genetics in the indoor ag environment and how they adapt. And we believe that price degradation, they're going to be, it's going to be hard um, to uh, basically say, we're going to 
commoditize this and go against a large MSO and let's say, um, and, and, and be the low cost provider. Cause you're not, you know, like in the craft beer business, you know, when you're getting a great craft stout at, at the tap, you know, you're not, they're not discounting it, you know? And so I think that that's what we see. And from the analytical laboratory space, when you're a mass producer, you know, we all know what's going on. So I think that what, what Ben's trying to achieve and why we're so excited for him is because you're really getting that, that community of people that are trying to achieve excellence and that there's a certification around it that allows them to, to strive and, and, and hopefully create a community that is, is evolving, you know, that they're, they're lifting each other up. And if you don't have that, then you're, you're back to the wild, wild west. And so I think that that structure and for us as a lender, you know, we love that because we see that those guys thriving because they're more passionate about the plant and what it's producing and the effect. Because a lot of guys that we see, you know, there's a lot of borrowers that we've lent to that are former veterans, PTSD, you know, they're trying to solve a problem for themselves. And so when you're looking at a mass produced plant that God knows what's going on, just because you're trying to get yield and you're, you know, because look, the truth of the matter is these facilities are crazy expensive. They're crazy expensive. And so I I don't fault them for doing what they're trying to do. They're trying to run a business. But I think that that's where the segregation is, is that this is a great move for the passionate uh, grower to, you know, really, you know, evolve. And well, educate the market different. opportunity, right, Ted? Yeah. I mean, it's like there's a gap there where the consumer is overall, when you look at, you know, adult use legal states in the United States, the consumer typically is just price oriented and convenience oriented. It's like and potency oriented. You know, it's right. like this potency, yeah, of course. this Strength. phenomenon oh, of like, okay. it's got to be the most potent thing under the People's planet. the strongest thing you got. It's like everybody's yeah. walking in to buy Everclear at the liquor store. And I think, you know, these these producers that we're talking about that are putting, frankly, kind of more thought and less fixation on yield and potency and those things, we do perceive that there is a market. If you look out into the food world, you know, the, the organic uh, production in the United States is, is always completely sold out. There's way more demand for that production of fruits and vegetables than there is supply. And it, it just, you know, the, the market can continues to grow. And there's no reason to think that we won't see a similar sort of pathway in cannabis. And, you know, Ted can talk more about craft beer where you see the same thing, right? Where there's yeah. just this continued demand for, for small producers and to go away from the big beer houses. Yeah. And I think that, and, and, and they couldn't, and the big guys can't aggregate up enough small guys. I mean, that was their struggle, right? I mean, how many, how many small brew breweries can you uh, buy when you're a huge conglomerate, right? I mean, it's, it's a waste of their time, but what the small guy can do is now if he's got organic certification and he's starting to make concentrates and he's starting to do different things, you know, with different ways to press it and not necessarily using harsh extraction methodologies, which we know, look at, we financed a lot of that equipment. You know, some people would say, you know, it's, it's not viewed that way, but, you know, I just think there's just more versatility to create a product where you're going to get not, you're going to get a great, a greater audience and a following. And I think that as I see various States evolve, um, I think that's, 
you know, if, if this is what you're passionate about and this is what you want to do, I think you're going to stand the test of time. You just don't open up a grow. You know, it's like, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny where I, you know, it's like I've walked into grows before and people just like the plant likes to grow. You know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, and it's a much different practice, right? Managing a hundred thousand square foot facility than it is a 10 or even a 20,000 or 25,000 square foot facility. Your ability to walk around and have the same person look at and touch every plant and really have a good feel for the entire, you know, landscape of, of what you're doing is much greater in those smaller uh, facilities. And, and again, as Ted said, the ability for control is greater. And, you know, the other thing I'll just layer onto that again with the organic certification, organically grown cannabis is we feel that not only will it give those craft producers, those producers that put more care and love into what they're doing, it'll be a really strong trust signal for consumers that are coming in, for people that are new to either that grower or, or brand or people that are new to cannabis entirely, which is really the great untapped market opportunity for this industry is still the new consumer. And I think having products that are, are organic are going to really appeal to those new consumers who are looking at cannabis as a somewhat healthier alternative to alcohol in many cases, or as a release for mental health or even physical health. And they're, they're more attuned to quality and risk concerns. And I think traditional cannabis consumers like myself who have been you know consuming long before legalization where you know a lot of people who come from the legacy market have been somewhat conditioned to accept what is in front of them um, which is very much contrary to how our consumer society basically behaves we behave we've behaved so badly now for so long that stores don't even want you to send back stuff, right? When you want a refund and they sent you the wrong thing or it was broken, they don't even want you to send it back anymore. They just send you a new one. That's how much in, in terms of the base level transaction, things have really shifted towards consumers. Of course, now we're living in an era of inflation and all that, and there's massive wealth inequality, but still our propensity to complain as consumers has driven uh, you know, commercial interest to the point where they don't need a story. They don't want the thing back. They'll just send you a new one so that you're happy and come back again. So in cannabis, that consumer muscle has really not begun to flex. And I think, again, where you're going to see the proliferation of, of both craft and organically grown uh, cannabis certified growers is with these new people coming into the space, looking for a better, healthier experience and coupled with the expectation of, of regular consumer society, which is going to just become more and more, pun intended, infused into the cannabis space. You know, just an interesting story about how I, uh, I, I, got to, uh, I got to meet Ben is, you know, on Friday afternoons on occasion, we'll go uh, as a team and we will go into the dispensaries. And since I have, a, you know, uh, a, a pretty vast knowledge of the, of the industry. I kind of quizzed the bud tender. And I think the power of the bud tender isn't really, uh, you know, we need, need to discuss that. You know, I, I can't tell you that I am that well versed in it, but, you know, I'm, I'm basically calling out the bud tender to say, you know, I know the story. I know the game that you got, that the industry is playing, you know, show me the premium, show me the craft, show me something that's unique 
you know, I just don't want, uh, I won't say any brand names, but we all know who the brands are. We're in Colorado. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy to figure out. And when I talk to the bud tender about craft and organic and just, you know, unique flower, uh, you know, this guy's like, you need to get to know Ben, you know? And so it was just like, it's important that the bud tenders have something that's new and interesting because they're selling right now. I can't tell you that I know how that interaction happens. I mean, Ben's well more versed in this than I, but I mean, that's just another thing. Like if you're a bartender, you know, and you have a new beer and you want to try it and show it off. I think that in this space, there's that opportunity to say, Hey, here's this, here's this product. But the other thing that what was, I really like about marijuana is you can buy an incredibly great product, a gram of it for 20 bucks. And you can try something that's exceptional and hopefully it has that effect on you. And then when you look at that $20 per gram number, where probably everybody's listening to this podcast to say, where did you pay that? But I have, um, is that, you know, you're talking about eight grand a pound at retail. It's more, but I'm just saying that you can't tell me, you know, and then I talked to one butt tender on a, on a, on a, uh, I'd call it a private label with a, a famous basketball player. And uh, a guy walked in and uh, just bought a $500 ounce. I was like, awesome. You know? And so I think, and so when I got to know Ben and what he was pushing, I just like, you know, that bar, of the people that are trying to achieve that excellence, you know, you don't have to cut your price. You don't have to cut your price. You know, and are accustomed to paying more for high quality products. And I think your point about the ability for consumers and cannabis to buy really excellent products, particularly flour, or in some cases, small amounts of concentrate for, for relatively small amounts of money, as opposed to in the spirit space, where if you want, and a really exceptional bottle of booze, you have to pay top dollar for it. You can't get a little sample of it. Um, it's, it's just a fascinating industry. And your point also about the primary point of contact for consumers being in the retail environment, interacting with the bud tender. Um, you know, I'll just quickly highlight another partner and supporter of the council, a, a company here based in Colorado, but working, I think now in 20 plus markets called Learn Brands that works with brands to create educational information about all their products and then train the bud tenders to be really well-versed on all the SKUs. Brands are flocking to it. We are at the council are partnering with Learn Brands and a couple of other brands I'll mention, Wild, um, Slang, 1906, among others, Binsk, um, to do uh, some edu- bud tender education around both organic production and sustainable uh, production. Uh, we're starting it as a pilot here in Colorado, where we've got this free course going out to over 400 stores, where we're going to basically quiz people on what they know today. And when I say people, I mean bud tenders, retail managers, people working in the cannabis retail environment, and establish, you know, kind of where people are now, and then start to layer on education. And if we get, uh, you know, a a healthy adoption rate, which we're feeling very good about with all of our brand partners, we're going to roll this education out nationally with Learn Brands. So Ted, to your point, there, there is a huge emphasis in the industry internally on persuading bud tenders to get behind brands. 
there are a couple of other groups out there that are trying to really formalize that education process. And there are some great examples really in the spirits industry where there's a very robust cottage industry within spirits of brand management, brand education. When these huge liquor houses produce a new vodka brand, they send out teams of people across the country to go into all these liquor stores everywhere and put in the new insulation and educate the staff on it and do tastings and do trainings and do all this stuff. And liquor brands pay huge money for that. This kind of, you know, the analog in cannabis is a company like Learn Brands or Soul Train or others, but they're nascent. And so it's coming. And again, another really significant opportunity for groups like ours to step in and partner with people like TED and people, people like Learn Brands to take the resources, the information and, ed and education, and actually tap into the, some of the nascent infrastructure to get to those critical kind of gatekeepers, the butt tenders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, 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 I mean, you know, look, that's the beautiful thing about the marijuana space is that, you know, I mean, you just can look to alcohol and uh, the, in, the entirety of the alcohol industry and really, um, you know, overlay it into marijuana. And since it is so new, um, it just provides such great opportunities, you know, that, uh, you know, I mean, that, you know, because think about it, you know, if you go in the grocery store and you go to the organic session, section, you're just not looking at apples. I mean, you've got a plethora of produce there that you're looking at and variety. And that's coming, you know, I mean, and that's the thing about, you know, this industry too. I mean, just the grading system and how you're grading quality and the education, the consumer, when things get a little bit deeper into, you know, uh, the actual um, reporting of what is in the plant for the consumer to understand, not just potency, you know, and some of the synergies around cannabinoids and their effects and some of the things that we see out there, it's just so cutting edge and fascinating, you know, and then if you can overlay that with an organic, you know, or a certification of craft of, that you took them through a certification process that justifies the premium and price, I just think it's an absolute no brainer. And I yeah. think there's a section that will happen in those dispensaries. And, you know, look, is it for everybody? No, but, you know, Don Perignon isn't for everybody either. So, but there's a place here. And I think that it really allows that passionate grower to just, uh, I think, be very successful, to be quite honest with you. I agree. And, you know, the premiums that you can get with organic production, I think, are going to be quite significant with marijuana. You know, again, with produce, you look at berries, for example, berries get a standard 55% premium organic over conventional. So if you even shave that down to like 5%, in cannabis, you are talking dollars on the table, not pennies. And I think for consumers, to your point again earlier, Ted, I don't think that it's actually going to make it price prohibitive for anybody because consumers will still have that ability to buy a single gram or a small amount for a relatively small amount of money. And again, the data shows in the broader consumer world and CPG, everybody wants organic. Now, the, the question, you know, the rub is always when you get to the cashier, and you have a choice between, you know, a 10 cent apple and a 30 cent apple or a 50 cent apple, many people choose the 10 cent. But generically, people will always state that they prefer organic. And again, the organic production in this country and in North America writ large is always consumed. There's more demand for it than there is production. So I think we can expect to see similar trends in cannabis. And you know what else I would just add to that is that, you know, and, and you know this better than I do, but uh, is 
this inflection point of like what we call medical cannabis and rec cannabis. And then if you really get an organic designation and it's something that you feel that is more pure, that, you know, it kind of now sits all in the same bucket. And I think the other thing about where you can have this uh, area of let's call it organic or pure or certified or whatever you want to call it is that it allows the bud tender to speak to other things that are representative in the plant as an effect on the person that may be, you know, more medicinal than it is. Hey, I just want the most potency to get as high as I can. You know I mean? Yeah, that's great for somebody, but there's a lot of people that are looking at it almost as plant-based medicine that don't have necessarily a uh, medical card or, or whatever. And now they can look to this as somewhere and feel confidence that that was really done well, or there was intention in how this was grown. And this is what, how I help myself. And then maybe would help you. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of that, that I think, evolves from this. And, um, and, and look, I mean, we're just at the, I mean, you know, just listening about plant tissue cultures and genetics and, and how people are just pushing the envelope on certain things, you know, now you're growing it in a, in a, its cleanest way possible. I mean, how can, I mean, you know, I just think that for me, I mean, unless I'm delusional, which I can be, but I just think that that narrative is the narrative that holds the day in, 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 in not degrading cost and providing a product where, yeah, maybe it costs you a little bit more to produce, but I think to Ben's point made a great point is that the, the Delta between uh, organic produce and conventional produce, there's a, there's a Delta there that's significant enough that allows that organic producer to grow and profit. That's right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's interesting, of course, we're talking here in, in early February and there's so many different threads I want to pull at in, in that conversation there, but I want to go back to uh, consumer muscle. That was a phrase, Ben, that you had used, and it's kind of what we're talking about anyway uh, across the whole conversation. Here we are in early February. We're, we're still sort of seeing the, the oversupply and, and the, the race to the bottom on prices from last year's harvest, um, and especially on the West Coast. So there's this desire to rise above the noise and to separate yourself somehow, especially once your product's on shelves. So I guess my, the question I wanted to get to, um, Ben, uh, something we keep talking about is setting a higher bar for, for producers. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I think using certification council as an example would be great. That's obviously what we're talking about. What are some ways or some specific ways that growers might uh, seek out that certification or demonstrate to the consumer that that they've earned that certification. And this could involve inputs or, or what have you, sure. but maybe uh, one or two examples of, of what that looks like. Sure. And I appreciate the question, Eric. And I, I'll talk about what we're doing with organically grown cannabis. Listeners can go to organicallygrowncannabis.org to get all of the detail on that. Um, you know, in our research, Eric, we've found that there's actually, you know, currently about four dozen or more uh, what I would call trust seals, certifications, process validations that are available out there, available for marijuana producers. Um, the, the big challenge in the space is that there isn't one yet that actually creates a premium at market. Um, so you've got a handful of different examples. You know, the state of California is even creating their own organic designation called the OCAL program. And, you know, we, uh, you know, to, to cut through some of this, you know, 
we've looked at all of this very closely. And part of the reason that we decided to go with organically grown cannabis as the name of our certification is we, we don't feel that we're ever going to have the requisite budget to go educate consumers on a new name for organic, which I think is the fundamental flaw that exists with essentially every offering. There are more flaws, Eric, and I'd be happy to get into them. I think the, the biggest one that's out there structurally is that in most cases, all of the different certifications that are available, the auditing and inspecting is done by the same group that created the certification, which is a massive conflict of interest because when you have a financial incentive in getting groups certified, you are going to want to, them to be certified. And that compromises the integrity of your standard because you are now really focused more on money than upholding the standard. We at the council have created a structure where we are what's called the standard holding body. Our job is to do exactly what I'm doing now, promote uh, and defend the standard. So our job is to promote it and you know get as many people as humanly possible to talk about it. And then to watch out for people using our label inappropriately or using our terminology inappropriately and, and, you know, ask them to stop. And if they won't stop, you know, we've got mechanisms in place to, to really put pressure on them to do so. I digress. So coming back to what's out there, what growers can do to signal to consumers. Again, there are a range of options. I believe that the North star uh, in the industry that's available now to marijuana producers is the sun and earth certification. You can go to sunandearth.org. Um, we have a lot of the same supporters as the Sun and Earth folks. Theirs is a regenerative organic certification. And, you know, frankly, the reason why we dovetailed a little bit away from, you know, being on that same exact path is because we feel, and frankly, I am quite certain that in the existing marijuana production market in legal, you know, regulated states, that the, the number of growers, either in raw number or by percentage, that even have a chance at producing regeneratively are very slim, right? Regenerative means no waste, closed track. Like it's, it's a beautiful ideal and concept. And I wish we could flip a switch and have all agriculture go that way. Um, we are looking at it and saying that's highly unlikely. It essentially prohibits, restricts, uh, disallows any indoor production. So now you're like, to my point, you're really limiting the market application. So I, I think that it, when you examine the landscape, you want a certification that's achievable, that is um, accessible. And by that, I mean, again, achievable for any type of producer, indoor, greenhouse, outdoor, and accessible also means understandable to all of the key stakeholders in the marketplace, uh, starting with consumers, of course. We believe firmly that consumers are not going to have a lot of questions about what organically grown cannabis means. We feel very confident that they'll understand that it means that it's grown organically. Um, that also means bud tenders to, to some of our discussion earlier. We're not going to have endless millions and millions of dollars to go out and educate bud tenders. You know, thank goodness we have supporters like Ted and partners and supporters like Learn Brands that can help us have the resources and also the, the, the uh, infrastructure to reach those people. But again, you know, we need something that's easy to understand. And, and it goes all the way down the line, right? So consumers, bud tenders, the uh, retail buyers, the wholesale buyers and sellers, the, the owners, the growers everybody's got to be able to get through at least that first gate together. And we feel like organically grown cannabis is a term 
that 99.9% of humans can understand and, and sort of accept and move that first step forward together. So, yeah, you know, I think that it's, it's for growers looking to differentiate and find those external markers that are so common in consumer packaged goods. All you have to do is go to a supermarket. There's a whole section of organic, like Ted talked about. Nobody has to ask the grocery clerk which grapes are organic and which are conventional. It's really clear. We all know the deal. And I think that that training, again, can really easily kind of slide over into this space. So I think if you're a marijuana producer looking for how to differentiate, you need to find a trust seal that checks those boxes. And I would encourage people to, to look at organically grown cannabis. Again, organicallygrowncannabis.org um, and, and, and consider it. I will say this, Eric, the, the OGC standard is essentially a living soil production standard. So even for indoor producers, it does require living soil. I can, I'd be happy to connect with listeners and talk to them about how that's possible. Sometimes we get a little bit of pushback on that, but there are many examples of indoor producers growing in living soil from coast to coast in all types of different environments. And we think it's a highly achievable standard. And just to close this out, Eric, what, the other thing I would say about all of this is, is again, looking at the traditional uh, consumer packaged goods space and looking at ag and, and how produce works, you know, Driscoll's is dominating the conventional section and the organic section. So for larger producers out there, my typical point to them is you don't need to make wholesale changes. You know, I know that these large producers are consistently giving up percentages of their growing cultivation footprint to R&D lights or R&D a new this or that or whatever. I think that they can make that same commitment to R&Ding a living soil production and, and organically grown cannabis standard production. Uh, and seeing that they're going to get a premium because consumers know what organic means and they know they're going to pay more for it. And just to close this out and to really emphasize that point, Walmart is the number one seller of organic produce in the United States, which to me just demonstrates the ubiquity of demand for organic production. So I think whether it's a big box cannabis retailer or a mom and pop cannabis retailer, they're going to have eventually they're going to need to have an organic section of product in their store. And, and I think they're going to have a healthy cross section of what's possible to achieve within that organic designation and the range of different premiums around that. Yeah. I think, you um, know what, what Ben yeah. said there is interesting too, is that, you know, some of these uh, you know, let's call it growers in this community, you know, they could be, you know, sharing, uh, you know, genetics, and sharing different um, uh, products amongst each other that are getting traction in other parts of the country, but knowing that they have a community they're growing to a standard, you know, gives them more flexibility too. And that even though they're not the large, large guy, they can start to continue to create niches for themselves that uh, hopefully get traction in their local market. We're already seeing you know, interplay, I guess, would be a good way to characterize it. Interaction, discussion. I wouldn't go so far as to say cooperation, but certainly dialogue and, and an interest in collaborating around business amongst living soil producers here in Colorado, which is my base. We have a, a, a range of states, I should say. Range is probably the wrong way to characterize it. We have 
a, a host of states with producers in them that have already pre-signed up to be organically grown cannabis certified. So we think, you know, Ted, I think you hit the nail on the head there. We've, we've been cultivating a community of like-minded people in the cannabis industry for six or seven years now with the, with the council. Um, we've brought in, I think, a, a wonderful cross-section of stakeholders around sustainability issues and quality issues. And I think that this certification and uh, the work behind it and all the people that get certified are going to only, you know, really reinforce the strength of that community. And I expect that we're going to see really vibrant um, exchange between those certified grows, talking about best practices, what works, what doesn't, environmental challenges, et cetera. And the validation, right there, oh, you know, yeah. you know, that's, that's also key, you know, that, uh, that's like number my, one, actually, I yeah, should have said it, that first. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, none of this works. And, and again, Eric, this is kind of the, the fundamental problem with the landscape certification in the marijuana space specifically today is that none of the certifications out there give you a dollar more at market, not a penny. And, and it's because none of them check that box of being truly accessible to consumers in, in that consumers invariably need to ask, well, what is that? What does that mean? Who is this organization? What are you talking about? Why would I pay extra? Because they don't know, and I'm not going to name names, but I'll, I'll pick on OCAL again. You know, they, they don't know what the OCAL program is from the state of California because OCAL says nothing to nobody unless you're a total nerd like me and you're following every single little development around craft and organic and marijuana. I know what the state of California is doing. There's probably 25,000, maybe 100,000 people that know, but California has 40 million people in the state, right? And and they're broke as a joke, just like every other state. They're not going to go spend a million dollars at the Department of Ag in the state of California to educate marijuana consumers about the OCAL program. Like, give me a break wanted to curse there but you know it's just it's a joke so again our our perspective here is you have to meet people where they are and we think that the organically grown cannabis program does that both in branding and in the mechanics of the of the certification itself and and being available for indoor producers for greenhouse producers and outdoor producers yeah well um i mean i wanted to end uh by circling back to um, the fundraising side of this, because as you were saying, Ben, none of this is happening in a vacuum. There are so many uh, people involved in, in those decisions within the business and certainly the consumers. Uh, there's also uh, a level of partnership. Uh, you, you mentioned a few shout outs that I think are super important. Uh, and there's certainly uh, capital partners and investors. And I wanted to kick this over to Ted um, just to see, Ted, if you could comment on as all this is happening, as growers are refining their practices and signaling to customers what they're doing with their plants, how might they go about um, signaling to investors or seeking out the right kinds of capital so that they don't get caught up in a bad partnership? They're, they're with someone who actually shares their vision, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, picking uh, good partners, uh, that would be, uh, I don't, you know, I wish I could tell you that answer. I've been through my fair share of uh, interesting partners. So uh, I don't necessarily have that complete uh, answer there. But I mean, but just on the finance side, on the equipment side, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, coming up with their plan, you know, and understanding, you know, the cost around it and then looking at finance companies like ourselves, um, 
you know, Ben and I have talked about this before. I mean, what it would really be nice is that, you know, maybe there's a better mousetrap that, you know, this collective kind of comes up with where it's kind of more of a package deal that Sweet Leaf could finance, you know, and, you know, we don't, you know, we're a finance company. So, I mean, you know, analogous to a high performance HVAC systems, LED lighting, racking, vertical racking, you know, I mean, things of that nature that kind of, you know, um, you know, then the irrigation, fertigation and things of that nature where it's, where we kind of have like this system that seemingly is maximizing um, production and, you know, potential, I guess, maybe that's a better way to say it. I'm production. I know it's not like, I don't want to be speaking like this would be a big MSO, but, you know, but you obviously yield in grams per, grams per square foot or grams per square meter or however you want to really look at it, you know, that they're, that, and then a finance company comes in and, and, uh, you know, we work with them. I mean, obviously, um, it's better uh, for us right now that uh, if they have some experience, they're not just actually pre-revenue. It's a little more difficult for us to finance pre-revenue. But, um, you know, I think that uh, and early on, too, I mean, you know, if they if they're in Ben's organization and they want some help, I mean, we're happy to help people. I mean, you know, that's uh, like I said, I mean, we really try to act as your non-equity partner you know, and we're just a finance company, but, you know, we really do what we can to introduce people to other people and, 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 you know, look, their success is our success. So, um, you know, but it, it's a good question. I can't, I mean, it's a little tough, you know, but you have they, a good business plan. I mean, it's not, yeah, you got to have a good like way. Anything else, Eric. It's yeah. just like the, the trick is, is really understand it, And this is my take. So sorry, Ted, no, but no, no, you know, it's, it's like, you said it. You gotta, you know, it was a great segue. Like any other fucking business. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me. So, you know, you got to be prepared like any other business, right? Exactly. And so what that comes down to is having the right plan, understanding the scale that you're going to produce at, understanding the market that you're going to go into. And I think part of Ted's point is, is looking around and trying to find those groups like ours. There are others. Being in the right state-based trade group, having the right connections, like being able to demonstrate that on paper is important because then someone like Ted will show up and start asking a bunch of questions and they're going to test you to see if you, if you wrote it down and you're lying or if you wrote it down and you can actually pick up the phone and call somebody or whatever it is. So it's, it's not unlike any other business. It's just a matter of the right planning. I think where a group like ours can come in is, is to serve as a bit of a, of a vetting mechanism for, again, for people like Ted, he knows automatically that anybody that's reached out to us about being certified who has, or has gone through the process is at least, you know, generically in the same vein in, in the same sort of thinking. Now, whether that business really checks out and is buttoned up and, and understands all the math and, and suits all of Ted's needs, that's going to be a completely ad hoc question, right? Because no two business plans are ever the same. No two operations are ever the same. And it's just going to vary. So Eric, but you I know think what the one thing is just to add to what Ben was saying is, is that, look, let's just say you were to take a size, let's say it was 10 to 15,000 square feet. Let's just say that's, that's the number. And, and then we add a number to it on a construction cost with all the equipment inside. And you can get to a pretty quick number. You know, you could talk to all the various, uh, you know, uh, contractors, design, build uh, groups out there, and you can pretty much come to a dollars per square foot price on a construction cost. Where you know, 
A, you know that number, and then B, you know what your yield is, and C, you know what the wholesale price of craft marijuana is. You know, it's, I mean, it really ain't, it's not rocket science, you know, and if, if, and, and so, I mean, and that's where, I mean, look, it's expensive. I mean, to build up one of these small grows is not cheap. You know, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's the thing about this, what I call indoor cultivation 2.0, in my mind, is, you know, and when I say that, it's like the differentiation between high, high, HPS lighting, you know, and, and rolling benches and things of that nature versus vertical growing is that, um, yeah, it's going to cost you more uh, to build that out. But I think your potential is, is, is that much greater, you know? And so, but those costs, I mean, you know, look, I mean, you're probably 4 million to 7 million, depending on what the number is. I mean, you better have some deep pockets, to uh, even a finance company, I mean, we don't finance 100% of the deal. So, I mean, you've got to be you got to be a well-heeled character to be kind of really moving in this direction, in my opinion, yeah. which is helpful for us because that justifies that we have a partner that's got skin in the game and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we started uh, at the top of this conversation talking about wanting to you know sort of state the business case for specialized production and. I- it's it's a it's a big topic, and uh, I think we cover a lot of really good ground here. And I know they're sort of planning things for later in the year at Cannabis Conference uh, out in person in Vegas. So it's certainly not the end of this conversation. But um, we'll be there in August. Yeah, yeah. At this point, um, uh, yeah, Ted and Benna, I really appreciate uh, the in-depth nature of this conversation. I think this has been super helpful. Eric, thank you. Thank you hey, for having. Yeah, me. Eric, thank us. you. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. That was number 29. Can you believe it? Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben Gelt and Ted Harris. I feel like we went off in a lot of different directions there and covered a lot of ground, sort of circling this topic of craft cannabis. And it's something that sort of comes up uh, in one way or another at every year out at Cannabis Conference, whether we're defining craft or getting into how growers can participate in or lift up that segment of the industry. Uh, As Ben and Ted pointed out, it's not just small growers we're talking about. Uh, This can be done at all sorts of different scale, and there are a variety of ways to signal to the market what you're doing as a grower. Uh, Part of that's marketing, part of that's certification, as Ben got into, part of that's finance, as Ted got into, Uh, but there's really a lot more than than that, and we could have talked for hours, really. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating conversation, and it's always uh, very interesting to tune in whenever this comes up, again, whether at Cannabis Conference or here on the airwaves or or in your neck of the woods. And uh, with that being said, we're going to continue these kinds of conversations. We've got Cannabis Conference coming up. It's in August. It's in Las Vegas. Registration's now open. The educational schedule is coming soon. But we're looking forward to getting out there August 23rd to the 25th out of the Paris again in Las Vegas. Please check out CannabisConference.com for all the information. Sign up for our newsletter because we will have information coming very soon on all sorts of aspects of the show. This is going to be bigger and better than anything we've done in the past. We want to make sure that you're there to enjoy and participate in the latest iteration of Cannabis Conference. So check that out. In the meantime, of course, we'll continue these conversations here on Beyond the Show. Thank you.